All right, guys. So today um, I've got none other than Nick Ainsley joining me. How are you? I'm extremely well. Thank you. Good. Thank you so much. Finally, we got around to doing this. I know this it's, it's taken some time, but it's happened. Two and a half, three months, if not more, in the yeah, process. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking. I was thinking today. I was like. Um, I don't like talking on these anyway, so I was a bit nervous because of your radio background. And oh, stop. Like, roles reversed today, so I'm going to be interviewing yourself. I just sat here and I thought, oh my goodness, I can't remember the last time someone interviewed me. Yeah. So how long have you been in radio? I've been in radio in Australia now. This will be my ninth year. Wow. Um, and then before that, I worked in media overseas for nearly yeah, eight years on top of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Long time. Yeah, yeah, been around, I've done TV, I've done radio, obviously, a bit of print and a lot of online, so. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I hope there's going to be no judgment when this comes out. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, so everything from sports right through to obviously breakfast radio, which I recently was forced to step down from just yep. because of what we're going to talk about, parenting yep. and motherhood and, and, yeah, and careers. Yeah. So I will take you back to, uh, we'll, we'll draw towards the campaign, and uh, when did you first, like, so Nick's actually reached out and you interviewed me on the show. Yes. Um, which yes. is an incredible platform for getting the awareness out, so I thank you yes. for that. How did you come across it in the first place? So I came across it from a colleague of mine that I was working with at the time, who I, I think is a friend of yours or something. Anyway, she just tagged me in something and said, have you got across this, not sure if this is your field? Um, I had a look into what you were doing and I just, I honestly fell in love with it straight away because I am so passionate about um, mental health and the stories behind people and I, I think that using the platform of people who, and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm on a lower level than some of the people that you've spoken <laughs> to, but people who so often have such a solid face to the public um, yeah. yet underneath so many people have got broken stories and, and you know the idea of it is just sensational so yeah. I couldn't well, wait to you. jump on board <laughs> it was a fantastic campaign yeah thank you and um, so today we've just shot yes so I know a lot of people when they've interviewed me and they've asked me how to get people into a certain space was was there any apprehension when you was coming or did you not know what to expect or how did you feel uh, well halfway on my way here I was so busy trying not to have a crash in the middle of the city, I wasn't even <laughs> thinking, and then it was really as I pulled up and I thought, wow, we're, we're actually doing this, because I've wanted, it was, yeah. you know, but yeah. we've had that many conversations to do this, um, and I was surprised at how quickly for me, I think I was prepared and ready to do that, because yeah. it, it didn't take me long to really get into that space of um, yeah. feeling that emotion straight away. Cool. Yeah. So, um, I'll be throwing some of the images up um, shortly, guys. Um, but what I suppose we'll we'll chat about is is your story and what what really resonated and what you were thinking about when you're going through that image. There were actually two different schools of thought for me when I was going through that image. Um, I will get emotional because I guess that's what you do on these things. <laughs> um, but the the first one was probably the most current situation for me, and that's the heartbreak that I've had to go through in juggling parenting and being a mother right. and career. Right. And for me, um, after a very long battle, two and a half years, and I, I went through, I've, I've got, I should set some context here, um, <laughs> I've got three and a half year old twin boys, um, and I fell pregnant very suddenly, it was a big surprise, I'd come out of a long relationship um, in a new relationship, and then we fell pregnant, which was exciting, but then we found out there were two, um, <laughs> and so in many ways I wasn't quite in that ready to be a mother head which yeah. a lot of people aren't necessarily in and even if you are it's still such a huge change to yeah. your life and then to have 
not one but two children that you're trying to bond with straight away and we had a lot of difficulties so as when I went back to work and I was very keen to get back to work because I love my job so passionately I was juggling completely sleepless nights both my right. twins had colic um, they had reflux we had to rely on an au pair to help us and this was um, your morning radio and this was in breakfast yeah and this was 4am starts or 4am so I was often going to sleep on the couch at sort of three o'clock thinking wow. I may as well not even go to sleep yeah. um, waking myself up to my alarm at four getting up I went to work every day with no makeup my hair was just thrown up I literally looked like I fell out of bed because yeah. my kids didn't sleep and they didn't sleep until the, the first one really didn't sleep through the night until he was about 12 months wow. and the second one when he was 19 months um, yeah, so, and it was, it was that constant, you know, that, yeah. that pacing up and down the hallway with just hysterical kids. I used to drive for hours. I would get home and I would, I would get to six o'clock and I would almost, I would start to get anxiety mm. because I knew what was ahead of me for that yeah. night. And I knew that it was going to be a battle with one or both of them. Um, and, and some nights, some days I just break down in floods of tears, not not knowing how to handle these two kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for me, work was that that bit of me. Yeah. It was, I'd built a big audience at the time at the radio station I was at at that time. And um, it was selfish. I felt selfish about it. And I think that's something that a lot of mums struggle with mm. is that balance because I desperately wanted to be with my boys and I desperately wanted to enjoy every second and I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guiltily loved going to work. Yeah. And I, I really carried that for a very long time. And in many ways I carry it still because when I made the decision finally to step down from work full time, um, you know, it was the toughest decision. I felt like, I still feel like I've lost part of my identity. Mm. Um, even though I'm still on air in a different capacity and I'm so grateful. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was a really hard thing. So, so that was the, Juggling, even just trying to survive, it was survival. For a long time, it felt just like survival. And I mean, being a, being a father myself, and I know my, my wife, when she she first went to a mother's group, like when you first have your first child and they tell you to go, and, and she honestly had a really bad experience because all the mothers, whether they were putting the front on, just saying that their kid was perfect yeah. and, and things like that. So my wife never went back. She just couldn't resonate because our, our first child, Lincoln, he he didn't sleep for, mm. for a while. He, he didn't cry, but he was just awake constantly. So she was tired and she was juggling her job and, and things yeah. like this. Um, but in saying that, did you feel a sense of still keeping up appearances when you had to go to work as well? Oh, 100%. Um, you know, and, and my co-host at the time actually had a young child and a newborn on the way, or a new one on the way, but then born sort of six months after my boys. Um, and I felt at times like I, I couldn't, couldn't do anything but be happy about everything because mm. his experience was different to my experience and I felt yeah. like I never wanted to be that dead weight. Yeah. You know, I had to go, well, actually, quite frankly, I'm so exhausted, <laughs> I can't think. Yeah. I don't even know how I'm holding a talk break together, but I know that I love this and I know that I feel guilty that I'm not there. And it is almost an impossible juggle. But it, it's funny you talk about mother's group because I can relate to your wife because I had the same experience. Yeah. And a friend of mine said, come on down to this mother's group. And here am I juggling these two little feral boys. <laughs> I love them, but... Um, and here were these perfectly, you know, I turn up to this mother's group. 
I didn't have a picnic blanket. I didn't have snacks. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have toys. And I sat down and thought, I am the most pathetic mother yeah. because I haven't thought of these basic things. And my friends giving me snacks to give to my kids and, and I never went back. And mm. the, the ladies that were there like, oh, so-and-so's got twins and she does this. And I felt so low in myself that I wasn't yeah. a good enough mother. And now, you know, two and a half years down the track, I can sit there and say, you know what? They don't know what I was going through. We hadn't slept for six months at that stage. We had so much going on. We had colic. We had all sorts of issues. My kids were in and out of hospital with it. Yep. And we've come off the back of it, so to digress, but we've also come off the back of a totally unique birthing situation. Like my kids were in NICU. Yeah. You know, I didn't touch my kids for four days. Right. And when I did, it was through gloves in a glass yeah. box with tubes coming out of them. Yeah. And so the whole thing was so different to the dream I anticipated, I expected. So I think, yeah, it, it's so hard. And that was still a relatively new relationship. So you were getting to know each other further as well. We, so. Yeah, we had literally been together. <laughs> we, we joke about, you know, how old are the kids plus the six, seven months that they were in. But yeah, it was a very new relationship. We didn't know each other. We were both uh, still recovering from previous relationships and we knew that. So we've growing together more as parents than yep. as a couple. Yep. And that's something that we often sort of sit there and say, sometimes when we disagree on things, we're still getting to know each other. Yeah. yeah. And the reason I bring that up is because when you're going through that stage anyway, and your anxiety yourself is heightened, yeah. how does the partner react to things like that? Because I know that me and my wife, we, we fall daily. Yeah. Like just oh. trying to deal with a child and then it's your turn, it's my time, I'm exhausted, you're exhausted, well I've got work, you've got work, like it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a uphill battle. Like, said, it is, so with twins. Oh, you know, I sit here sometimes now and even think, is this my life? It's so bizarre. Because um, how old are they now? They're three. Right. So we haven't progressed very far. <laughs> and it doesn't stop in our first year, does it? Do you know right. what, and this is probably one of the biggest things that hit me, um, so five months ago we were throwing a little bit of a curveball with one of our, our sons, and I think the biggest thing that hit me was that was the point where I had to take, stand, start taking a look back at, at the bigger picture. Yeah. And that bigger picture, you're right, involved uh, my partner and his job, the kids, where we were as a family, because we, we were a new family unit and yeah. a completely new family unit. And, you know, we've got the family force straight up. And you know what? Everybody will make those goddamn twin jokes yeah. that you just feel like if somebody else says to be well, you don't have to have any more or yeah. a two-for-one deal, you think, oh. Um, but it, it was one of those eye-opening situations where I had to take a step back and look at everything. And I can't remember where we were going with that. I Just, totally just relationship. Yeah and, yeah. and and I realised that our relationship was built sort of as two individuals yeah and then suddenly like I was, we wasn't all working together yeah and that's that point where you have to just go okay something's not right here and, and that was for us we had a situation five months ago when my son was diagnosed with some um, learning difficulties and some developmental issues and that was the point where I stepped back and went mm, I don't think we can do this or yeah Wow. It was the hardest, and and that was to me. I kept on, I kept on fighting. I, I was trying like so, many, and 
I think the hardest thing is for women out there, and I think men fall into the same category. I don't want this to be one of those, you know, poor mums. Um, I can only speak on the perspective of, of myself and mums. Yeah. Because that's all I know. Um, but I think one of the biggest things is we benchmark ourselves against people out there who are doing so much. They're politicians with two young kids or they're, um, you know, radio stars and they're in cap cities and they've got two young kids and they're, they've, they've got... But everybody's behind-the-scenes setup is different. Like, yeah. It's different. Yeah. And ours came back to a, a lack of support um, in, in the situation that we... Because we moved for another radio station opportunity and... And then it came down to juggling twins is different yeah. to juggling, um, you know, one after the other and not saying it's harder or, or worse, it's just different. Yeah. You know, having those two. And then one of the things that I realised when I started looking at that big package and saying this isn't working and I'm going to have to make a really tough decision for me was I looked back and realised that I'm comparing myself against other people. And I was also carrying two and a half years of exhaustion, if not more, yeah. from these kids. And I had never let myself recover. And I know now that I had postnatal anxiety. Mm. I know I had postnatal depression as well. And that's not what they call it these days, but yeah. whatever they call it. Yeah. And, but I had, you know, like so many mums out there, you're borderline and perhaps like me, you've had anxiety or depression issues previously or mental health issues in the past so you probably are very aware of it so therefore you're almost less likely to go and get help and support because you also know that you have the strength to go through it yeah because I, i've had issues before and i was like i can feel that i'm down i can feel that my anxiety is very high and i can feel i'm not dealing with these things but i also know that i have the strategies in myself to deal with it so instead of probably reaching out when I should have, I was like, no, I can power through. I can get yep. back into fitness to help me because that's something that has always helped me. But then suddenly I've got two boys and a full-time job. I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realise is that your, your time, like, and this is the half on, on fathers, I'd say, is your time is just not yours no more. No. Like everything's invested to your children and then your relationships suffer. Mm. Because there's no time for you yeah. you to have that downtime. Yeah. You're both too tired to even speak yeah. to each other. And then you snap at each other oh, over the littlest things. And, yeah. and like you say, I think even as a male, and you see some of your friends still going out, and you see, like, there's a very big culture in the UK, and I won't say it's, it's everybody, but it, it's kind of like a lot of the males tend to work and then Friday, Saturday they go out yeah, and a lot of the women look yeah. after the children. Yeah. Now, I think that's changing obviously with times. Yeah. I've never had that mentality because I don't go out that much um, because I've okay. <laughs> yeah, like, you just exactly. don't go out. There we go. Like, you're social life, you just don't go out. Yeah. But um, I think when, when you do see socials and you see these people like say celebrities and you see them with 2.4 kids and mm. Angelina Jolie when she's got like five kids and stuff and, mm. and you're kind of like going how the hell because one child is enough sometimes mm. so like five and mm. I think that's the good thing about this campaign being mental health do not discriminate and bringing the point of a mother in mm. to show that side and a father and things like that mm. we don't see behind the scenes so we don't know how much she struggles mm. she, she's, she's got the money to pay for but, equally, and, yeah. but again, you don't know what she's going through because she might be a 
strong mother who isn't paying anyone to look after him. Mm. She might and, be going through it herself. Well, you know what, you might, and this was one of the things that ate away at me, is that she might, um, not that I'm putting myself on her level, by the way, <laughs> but when my kids were in, in being looked after somebody else, you know, I felt guilt every single day of my life. Since my kids have been born, I mm. have felt some form of guilt. Right. I have felt guilt that they were premature. I have felt guilt that they were in NICU. I have felt guilt that, you know, one had to be delivered earlier than he was ready because the other one wouldn't have made it, mm. you know. And then I have felt guilt when I walked out the door to go to work because I should be at home with them. And then I felt guilty when I am home with them that I'm not invested enough in every second that I've got with them because I'm tired or I'm run down or, yeah. quite frankly, twins is just a nightmare because two people are screaming at me nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I imagine that every single person, every mum and every dad carries those elements of guilt. And I know that um, when my other half isn't there, he feels guilty because he's not there, but yeah. then he's got to be at work and vice versa. And, and that snowballs and then you do start snapping at each other because it's like, well, why are you leaving early? Well, I'm going to the gym. Well, how come you're going to the gym? I'm still at home. Yeah. And that's where those things just escalate and you can see. And I think, you know, for us coming into a relationship where we, we didn't know each other that well before we started a family, um, it has put, you know, so many different challenges on it. But then I look at friends who have been in relationships for a long time and it still puts so much challenges yeah. because it's parenting. Yeah. And it just is the most stressful, unpredictable thing you go through in life. Yeah. It, it challenges you like absolutely nothing else. And people say it is the most rewarding thing, but I think the hardest thing for any parent is there are days after days and weeks after weeks where you might not see those little rewards. Yeah. Because you're tired and you're exhausted and you're burnt out and you're trying to, you know, in a lot of cases, just pay bills and make ends meet yeah. and you just... And you, I mean, I know that I suffer at the moment, probably one of the biggest things that drives my anxiety is fear. Fear that I'm not going to be able to provide them with everything that they want. Yeah. Particularly having stepped down from a full-time job and working in a, in a more casual capacity, I get scared witless. Like, what if I can't give them everything? Yeah. What if I can't? And that's all you ever want from your kid, for your mm. kids. And that takes it, makes it hard sometimes to enjoy every single little day and every single moment because you're... You know, it goes so quickly, you want to be in the moment, and then you're worried about the future, and it's it's a psychological complex. Yeah, yeah. It's really and it doesn't, it doesn't even make it easier, like we were talking prior to this, about childcare and the expenses of childcare these days. Mm. Like, because how much childcare is getting these days, it's like one of you may as well not work. Yeah. And me and my wife always say to each other, like, one of our friends, she wasn't in a relationship for a long time, but she wanted a child, and she was like, I might do it myself. I take my hat off to any single parent out there because, oh. my God, when yeah. there's two of you, it's hard enough. Yeah. Trying to raise a child or being left alone to raise a child, oh. God, they, they're amazing yeah. people. Yeah, and again, finding that balance between looking after themselves so you yeah. can be strong enough to be the best parent. Yeah. You know, having to earn money and, and look after finances and then be there for all those moments that you want for your kid is just, oh, yeah, as you said, goes off to anyone in that situation. Just, so when was there a point, like you obviously said you needed to take a step back and realise all this, did you have a strong support network around you? Did, did you go and see a psychologist or I know you said in the past you had issues so you knew how to deal with them, but where was there a turning point in yourself where going, 
I need to get a grip of this. I need to like, do you know what I mean? Like, I think get my head sorted. Yeah, a I, bit I think for me the biggest turning point was probably so my son was uh, like diagnosed. Let's go with that. Yeah. Um, with a develop with what's called global developmental delay, right. and I'd never heard of global developmental delay, but from the minute he was born. He was he he's met his benchmarks, but not at the same time as his brother. And one of the hardest things about having twins is you should never compare them. Um, and we never did, but there were just little red flags along the way that meant that oh, we wanted to keep him engaged with his pediatrician. Right. Um, and then when we got to two and a half, we were already dealing with a severe speech delay. He was very delayed in talking, and the pediatrician looked and said, "Look." Again, we're not dealing with anything severe, but we could be looking at what's called global developmental delay, which is when a, a child is not meeting their milestones in up to around three to five different categories. So mm -hmm. it may be from speech through to eating. Um, we have a lot of sensory issues, food issues, sleep issues, um, but more so a comprehension thing. So he doesn't have the ability to process information as well as other kids. He right. still does, and he doesn't have the ability to cope with change and um, things that are going on around him quite as well. Mm -hmm. um, but he's also, but he is very social and he's engaged. So it was very, it's a very unusual situation. And at this stage, I'd taken a different job and that sort of stretched our family a bit. We were committed to, to doing it because I really wanted to, to work for this particular company. I'm very grateful for that opportunity. But I was suddenly put in this position where these these development issues with him with him were becoming more apparent and I was relying on, you know, external childcare and he wasn't coping and my other son was just not coping because he wasn't coping and um, we were all not coping and I think that was the moment when I sat back and went, I'm not coping. Yeah. And that was the biggest point for me is that everyone around me had told me and I knew mm. but it, that was the point when I realised I'm exhausted, yeah. I'm drained and I'm not coping yeah. and that was part of the process of me saying I can't get him through this, I can't get them through this and I can't get us through this if I keep going down this pathway mm. and so that was for me um, that moment where I had to sit back and almost say to myself, you know, you, you've been through a lot of emotional stuff in the past, you know better than you need to reach out to the right people. And I'd already seen a psychologist because I knew I was at that point. But for me, as I said, it was about something's got to give yeah. and making that very tough decision but realising that if I kept going, trying to juggle everything, no matter how much I love my job, there was going to be a day when I turned up and I couldn't do that either. Mm. And I didn't want that. And I didn't want the kids to not cope and I didn't want my other half not to cope. And so that's when I said, back when I'm the gel, the glue, yep. if I don't look after me first. And the hardest thing for me was I'd always told myself that looking after me was going to work yep. because that was about me. It was my passion. It's my love. It's my everything. But then I realised that my life had changed so much and so quickly. Like I'd gone from coming out of a relationship, being so focused on work, meeting my other half, falling pregnant, having twins, going yeah. back to work, trying to juggle it all, going, hang on, I haven't really stopped to realise I'm a mother now. Yeah. <laughs> there is a yeah. bigger job. And yeah. so that was that really critical point for me. 
was accepting the fact that my son, I needed to step back and take my son to OT and take my son to speech and to work through and sit with him every day and help him with his speech and help him get through his meals and have yeah. that patience. And it needed to be me. Yeah. And I could only do it if I started healing myself. And so that was really that point. So while stepping back from work was the hardest thing, it was also that critical moment where I realised I needed to psychologically start to heal myself. And I'm still going through that process. Yeah. Because obviously, I mean, it's only been a couple of months and I'm still dealing with not being that career-driven woman or having a career in a different way or yeah. finding my identity again. Who am I when I'm not a breakfast radio announcer? Yeah. <laughs> you know? previous things from back as well or um it's interesting because in the middle i've i've had a long going ongoing battle since i recovered from and and i'm i'm a lucky person because a, a totally another huge deep conversation but um i'm lucky that i can say i've recovered from an eating disorder yep. particularly a severe and as severe as anorexia can get um because it's a rare thing and I hold that wholeheartedly to my parents mm. for absolute dedication and helping me work through that um, to the point where I can say I, I don't think of food, which is a very unusual thing for somebody who's recovered from. Yeah. Uh, there are times still when I get stressed and I can see my gut instinct is to, to you know, I struggle to eat. Um, but it, it's interesting because in the middle period sort of time between when I recovered from that and, and eventually when I fell pregnant with twins and of course having had a, an eating disorder there's the, the physiological side of things you know will you, will you even be able to fall pregnant all that sort of yeah. stuff um, I then struggled with a lot of hormonal issues which have been you know diagnosed from everywhere from endometriosis to polycystic ovarian syndrome and they can sort of never narrow it down so I had to deal with my body changing through that as well um, but I, I've never, I've really struggled to deal with my post-baby body. Yeah. I've, I've tried to be that person to say, your body carried two humans. <laughs> like, yeah. that's a miracle to itself. Yeah. But there's still that part of you that struggles with both age and the fact that you don't have time to invest as much as, as you could have. And you just simply... I feel like my body will never go back together. I know I watch this back and go, your arms are too flabby and this. So, <laughs> so there is still that. Um, I try to block it from myself because I don't want to be that person, but there's still that feeling that I, I don't feel as, as pretty. I think that's probably the right way of explaining I don't feel as pretty as I want to. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't feel like I have felt pretty um, or proud of myself and my body since I've had my kids. Yeah. And I struggle with that. I, I do. Um, 
And the reason why I brought that up as well, like, I, th- I think you're going to resonate with a lot of mothers out there. I know I, I brought up an old friend of mine in New Zealand, Hannah, mm-hmm. um, and she, big fitness professional for Les Mills, mm-hmm. trained all the time, um, and forgive me if I get this wrong, but she had a prolapse, mm-hmm. um, and basically self-loved herself, mm-hmm. just hated her body after. Sorry, that's my daughter. <laughs> you can hear her in the background. We're talking motherhood, yeah, so you can hear the baby. We've got sound effects. Perfect. Um, Immersive um, experience. Yeah. Like but she, she literally, um, I was reading her blog the other day, so she started the blog on it. Yeah. Um, and then she started taking images of what her body looks like now. Yeah. Um, and she's so brutally honest about what she went through and how she felt like a bad mother because she was thinking about her body and yeah. and what it used to be and mm. like I think people forget it, big mental health issues within that. And oh, I think she's doing yeah. huge things in like New Zealand with her writing at the moment purely mm. because so many women are resonating. It's it's certainly something that I've thought of tapping into now. I've got some more time because um, you know I've I've been going back to the gym now mm. and I think. Probably for me, the most heartbreaking thing was, I mean, I used to be very fit. My, my you know, I, I studied a lot of fitness when I was younger before I got into media and I used to run for two hours a day, obviously, off the back of eating disorders. So, you know, you can go too far the other way. Yeah. But the hardest thing for me was I, I reached an equilibrium in my mental and health state. Yeah. And then, then having the boys has thrown me the other way and you don't realise... Um, how hard a slog it is and how time poor and mentally time poor you are, um, it, it takes everything to get yourself back out there and then you don't see those results quickly and yeah. there's stuff that just... I, I have changed my whole way I dress, the way I present myself yeah. because I don't, I'm not confident in who I am and, and how I feel anymore. And, and it is a big body image thing. I'm not proud to. I've, I've got to go to the races on Friday. And I don't even want to go and buy a dress. I've been putting it off. Yeah. Because I don't want to get into, I want to go into a change room. Because yeah. I don't like what I look at like. And I I tried to face it last year. I, I did. I, I stood there and I took that selfie in my underwear. And I was going to do that empowerment post exactly the same as, as your friend. So I need to come to terms with this. But I was a coward and I backed out because yeah. I, I, I wasn't being honest. I'm not okay with how I look. And yeah. I, instead of instead of trying to come to terms with it and try and work on it, I, and I am trying to work on it, but in terms of, in, I, I want to be able to say, look at what my body did. My body carried two small humans. Yeah. Like, what a miracle. Yeah. But I still, yeah, I can't. I haven't got to that point. And yeah. I, instead I've changed who I am. Yeah. And I've almost, and I think I'm probably not the only mum, maybe I am, but I've put myself so far down the ladder of priority that I'll confess, I got my hair done last week for the first time in nine months. Mm-hmm. Now, I work in media. Now, even though I work in radio, <laughs> there's still Facebook and all that yeah. stuff. But I would just get up in the morning and throw my hair in a bun and not put any makeup on and wear the baggiest top like today and and jeans because I could hide behind that because I'm not I'm proud of my sons at the moment yeah. but I'm not proud of me. So going back to that time when you was going through a lot of this, 
and career mums out there trying to juggle everything, what was a typical day night for you? Like, get get started at 4am, you got up? Yeah, so I get up at 4am and I literally just dump through the shower, throw my hair up, put whatever clothes were there and yeah. leave. If, if I was lucky, I'd be getting out of my bed with no children in it. Right. If I was unlucky, I'd be sleeping on the floor of my kid's room and right. getting up from there, sneaking out of their room to right. go. If my partner was home, because we did do a period of time where he was working away for a few few nights a week, in that case I'd open the au pair's door so the boys were with her. Um, and then I'd sneak off to work. I'd start work anywhere between 4.30, 5 o'clock, start curating stories for the show, co-host gets in, go through show planning, three hours of live radio, into planning meetings, back-to-back planning meetings. We'd start working on content for the day. We'd have meetings with national content directors. Depends on what's going on, go see clients, all sorts of that radio stuff. And around about midday, um, my previous job, I wouldn't leave till 2.30. And that was one of the reasons why I I wanted to shift because I was in at five o'clock and wasn't getting home until 2.30, three o'clock in the afternoon. my most recent position, I was leaving a little bit earlier, which was giving me some more time. Um, but as soon as I walked in the door, my au pair clocked off and I clocked home to mum. Now, one of the things with radio is it's not a job like any live media that really finishes. You're always looking for stories. You're always seeing yeah. what's going on on Facebook. So for one of the things I had to consciously work on was putting my phone down for blocks of time and not worrying about was that video going well on Facebook or was the meme getting traction and actually focus on the kids. And then it would jump in. I'd try and be home for lunch because Hunter Hunter won't eat, so he won't eat without me. So my first job is sit down and try and get him to eat a piece of toast with Vegemite on it. And that would be sometimes an hour process for us. Um, And I always tried to take that pressure off my girls, my au pairs, so that they had, you know, my important thing was that they were okay because they were responsible for looking after those kids when mm. myself and Chris weren't there. Yeah. So um, that was a really key thing to make sure that they had their breaks. And so then I'd just go straight into mum mode and it was just, you know, lunch into some kind of afternoon activity. I'd try and take them to the park. And I, I don't know how other career mums felt, but by the time I got to that three o'clock in the afternoon, I'd want to sit there and watch them play. Yeah. But I lacked... That I felt vague. I, I still sometimes do because my sons don't sleep properly and you, you, you're running on empty and you want to take in every moment, but you still you, you suddenly realise you, you've almost vagued out, not that you're not paying attention to your kids, but you're not absorbing it all because yeah. you're running from behind. Um, for then, you know, we'd go through the same process in the evening. Dinner would be a very long process for us and then bath, bed, I try and get them into bed always by seven o'clock. I'm very routine driven because you have to be. Um, And that was my time, you know, we'd sit down, we'd have dinner, we'd have our showers. I'd go to bed pretty much after that, after doing the last check on content. And by 10.30, Hunter was awake again. Now that's, if we've had a good night, my kids don't settle, well, Hunter doesn't self-settle either because he gets very, very bad anxiety. And, And to have that highlighted in a three-year-old. Yeah. And that's probably one of the biggest things for me that I'm working on with my family at the moment is I think of periods of my time where anxiety has crippled me. Yeah. And and I've ridden through and I I will put a brave face on everything as we all do, but I've had those, you know, times after times where I've closed the door and just lost it or I've got in the car and just broken down. Yeah. 
because my anxiety has been so bad that I felt like I didn't know how to function at times. And I, I'd say most people wouldn't know. They would never have known that's what was going on inside. Yeah. Um, and for somebody to sit there and identify that a, a child has elements of anxiety, I would move heaven on earth to make sure that he has the ability to cope with that yeah. as best as possible moving forward in his life. And I know a lot of people are now, how can you diagnose anxiety in a three-year-old? But they're seeing signs and developmental psychologists come so far now that, you know, we're naive if we sit there and go, early intervention is key, we're just going to ignore it. Mm. You know, we're not living back in those days. And so, yeah, for, for me, he and his night anxiety, he would get so upset at night having to go to sleep without me that he would make himself physically sick. Wow. So I'd be sitting there at night, sometimes with Cruiserweight, sometimes with him home or he having to work late, and I'd have this kid that was just losing it, having to go to sleep. You can't walk out on a child in that set. They're yeah. self-settling, and he actually self-settled okay when he was younger. He was the first one to. But then whatever in his developmental cycle changed, he's got worse as he's got older and the other ones got better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then we'd go through cycles where he'd wake up every 90 minutes. Yep. And so that's it. Some nights we'd have good nights and he might wake up, you know, one or two nights, two times through the nights. And other nights I literally would just sleep on the floor with my hand in his cot, waiting for my alarm to go off at four o'clock and starting. Wow. It's funny what you say with that because when when you feel this self-judgment, like some of, some of our friends, when, when we said at times we had Link and our son sleep with us most nights in the bed, and they was like, no, we made sure that our child was in the cot, in the other room, we set it out from the beginning, mm-hmm. and we, we, we'd get home at night sometimes going, how though did they do that? Mm-hmm. was like, yeah. you were so mentally drained, mm-hmm. your body's physically exhausted, it takes all of you to even just wake your eyes up sometimes to walk across the room to the court, let alone another room, mm. to keep doing it. It's easier just to mm. get them in bed with you yeah. and just, and like, I laugh sometimes because I'll see my wife and, and still to this day, if, if Lincoln comes walking in the room and just gets in the bed, she still, because of all those years, sleeps right at the edge of the bed. Right, almost as if half her body is yeah. off the bed whereas I've got like a full space he's tucked up in that cuddle with her yeah. and I'm like like he's six now like he doesn't yeah. sleep with us but he'll walk in sometimes he'll and he'll get in early in the morning yeah. when he's woke up and then be like he's big enough now to push him yeah. over like roll him over yeah. and yeah, she's just him. so accustomed yeah. To that edge of the bed thing, Isn't that like funny how you adapt. But it, it, it's good when people open up and share the stories mm. because so many people try and put that mask yeah. on. And you know what? I both my both my sons were diagnosed with severe colic. Right. Um, so we had colic issues right from the word go. And look, if you've never had a colicky baby, yep. I, I honestly I cannot express I, I wanna say luck, but just be grateful because it can be the most hideous thing. It, yeah. it breaks you because you cannot get these babies to calm down. And I had two colicky babies. Often, you know, Chris had to go back to work and then I had to go back to work and we're juggling everything. When we had our first au pair and nanny, we used to just say, just walk, just put them in the pram and walk. Yeah. Because that's the only thing that will settle them. Um, 
and you know and i would come home and i would take it all and we would spend hours literally hours pacing up and down rooms with these babies sometimes you know both of them over the shoulders just trying to calm them i i have one time we were nearly we were nearly at the six month mark and harrison was so bad i was in just in tears and i was like i can't do that i was literally convinced there was something wrong with this kid and I took him to the emergency department (laughs) and I sat there and I just cried and I said my kid's broken (laughs) and they're like are you okay I'm like no but I like I'm okay in that sense but I'm not okay because I feel like maybe I'm missing something yeah and they were brilliant they looked thoroughly and they they did everything they can and they said look we can't it is just colic and I remember walking out going what is just colic and it is the most horrific thing. And we had to do everything we could to try and get these babies to sleep and then to stay asleep. And then as they progress towards, you know, you're told within three to six months they grow out. They yeah. didn't. Six to nine months, they didn't. Wow. Nine to 12 months, they didn't. 12 to 13 months, Hunter started to grow out of it. And we were like, okay, cool, we've got one kid that's going to sleep. Harrison just could not break it. And, wow. and I remember, you know, there's those sleep... Um, and you can go to the hospitals and they help you with sleep stuff. And I yeah. remember being, because we were, in, we were in the country, we weren't in the city at that stage. And I remember ringing them and going, what do I do? You know, and they're giving me all these techniques, you know, pat them on the back for 10 minutes and then walk out for 10 minutes and they come out. And I'm like, I'll be here all night. Like, <laughs> and they're like, you know, you need to let them cry it out. If I tried to let Harry cry it out, yeah. he would break me before I could break him. Yeah, I would yeah. be sitting there going, I've got to get up and go to work at four o'clock in the morning. You know, I haven't eaten. This kid is just not stopping. Yeah. And then I had a very frank conversation with my mother. And she said to me, do you know any 15-year-old boys that need to be patted to sleep by their mothers? I'm like, what are you talking about, Mum? You're stupid. And she's like, yeah, think about it. He will get there. And after that, I chucked it. Like, I mean, kind yeah. of chucked every book out anyway, but I chucked out the theory. And the same with dummies. Because yeah. we needed dummies in our world. We had to. And even now, I admit, my three-year-old boys, at night, they're allowed to have them just to fall asleep and then they have to hand them over. Yeah. Because, again, what 15-year-old boy has a dummy stuck in their mouth? They yeah. get there. Yeah. They don't have to be falling asleep perfectly. And if they sleep with you but you all get sleep, for God's sake, it works. Yeah. And there's just not enough of that messaging out there that, you know what, it's okay to sleep with your baby. It's okay to sleep in a... I spent the first three months sleeping on the couch with two bassinets, two swings next to me, and half of the time the baby's just peeled on me because it's the only way any of us got an hour's sleep. Yeah. But I think with your story and with, with, with more people owning up about it, it, it resonates because it's, it's real life. And coming to the fact of judgment from people who don't necessarily have kids or, you know, when you've had it. And I never realized this till we had kids. It's like, probably be nicer and more understanding to people with kids. Like when you're on a plane and you hear kids screaming or you see kids and you think, oh my God, I'm going to be sat next to kids. Mm. Until you've got those kids, mm. you don't realize. And we was once driving and Lincoln was about four and we don't give him the iPad much, but mm. when he wouldn't settle and stuff like that, we've, we've got the iPad on the back of the, the car seat. Yeah. I'm just with his nursery things. Yep, and I, I remember we pulled up at traffic lights and there was a car full of young boys mm. 
and they had the windows down and, and that, like they was looking and I, I, I wound my window down and there was one guy, a bit of a smart ass, and he was like, oh, we was just, just talking and just wondering about these parents like that give the kids like iPads and, and things like, do you think it worked? And I, I just turned around and was like, you've got no kids, have you? Yeah. And he was like, no, I was like, give it 10 years, mate. Yeah. Just give it 10 That's years. It. That's it. And you, it's so, you go back to that space where you're, you know, in your early 20s and you're, yeah. you're going And you do love that judgment life. yourself yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and you do and you think, oh, you know, I mean, I, I was never like that. I travelled a lot when I was younger because I lived over in Europe for a long time. Um, but I remember the first time we, we went to Hawaii with the boys when they were six months old because I needed something. I, yeah. I needed something. And I remember thinking, oh, and I do every plane flight I've been on and every place I go in public, I think, I, I, I almost think I shouldn't take my kids. Yeah, right. But you know what? I've got two Labradors at home yeah. in, a back, <laughs> yeah. in my backyard. I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment, two Labradors and two and twins. God. Um, now, I don't take my Labradors everywhere yeah. because they're animals. Yeah. These are human beings. Yeah. Yeah. They, you can't not take your kids to the supermarket. Yeah. I mean, I know Chris used to get completely, probably kill me for saying this, but it, I'm going to say it anyway. He used to get anxious having the, the thought of taking the kids to the supermarket. Yeah. And he, I can I'd, imagine. And I'd say to them, say to him, we'll stop in the supermarket, we'll get out, we'll go around the supermarket. And he's like, no, I'll, I'll take the kids home, you go. And it took me a while to realise that he felt that way. Not, he yeah. felt like every it, it was just going to be such a nightmare. We shouldn't have them there. And I, and I remember saying, but they won't get used to it if they don't go. And yeah. they're human beings. They're allowed on a plane and they're allowed in the car. And if they yeah. need an iPad, give them a bloody iPad. Yeah. But I, yeah. I know there's screen time issues. And whenever possible, when they're at home and they're in their security or yeah. if they're at school or at their preschool, 100%. Yeah. But when you're trying to do your groceries or... Go to dinner with friends, and I will yeah. not leave to go out anywhere now without an iPad because I know if Hunter has a meltdown, I can put on Bluey, yeah. and in yeah. two seconds, with two cars, a milkshake, and Bluey, Come. I can calm that kid down, and everyone's okay. Yep. And I don't care who judges me because they don't know my son. Yeah, they don't know that he's overwhelmed, yep. and he—that's his secure space. He's not going to be glued to Bluey for the next six hours and do it every day. Yeah. But we're, we can go out, and I think in today's environment, like our parents didn't go out. They didn't yeah. have a social life, but we want to, and more and more venues are catering towards families, and we want to go out with friends and have a glass of wine and let our kids be there. But talking to that with our parents and things like that, and I never knew this growing up, because I used to, I did have this mentality of, you go out to a nice restaurant and you go to a pub, and then you'd see kids running around. And mm. I did used to think like, why aren't the parents making them sit down? Like, we're in a public place, like, get them to sit down. Mm. Wasn't till I had a kid and someone explained to me and goes, mm. without the iPads and everything, when they weren't as big as they are now, yeah. if I don't let them run that energy out, yeah. they're going to be making a bigger fuss and they're going to be screaming this place down. So they're okay running around. Mm. If they're not bothering people, yeah. but if they're just doing it, and that changed my whole thought. Mm. And, and I was just like, that makes yeah, so much sense. It does, and I think... I think one of the things is, is as parents, we need to accept the fact that, and I know that, again, going into a relationship very quickly, our lives changed very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, we were two independent, strong people, and suddenly we were a cohesive family. Um, so there's still times where, you know, one or other of us will go to do something, and we're like, oh, hang on, 
we've got kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I think every parent goes through that. I think that, you know, there's times where you have to pull yourself up and go, I can't go out to things that I used to go to because I'm a, I'm a parent now. Yeah. But also, it needs to be okay that if it is a family-friendly environment, that anybody who's in that environment accepts the fact that kids are allowed to run around and, yeah. and as you said, as long as they're not like out of control, yeah. like, you know, their kids need to be allowed to be kids. Yeah. And, you know, there is that balance of, of parents understanding you can't take your kids everywhere and you do need to control them. You yeah. do need to be in control of them. Yeah. You know, one of our big things is we're, we're very, I don't like using the word strict, but I'm sure if anybody looked through my window, I'm, I'm structured. Yeah. You know, my, I'm strong and I'm, because I've got two boys at the same age, everything yeah. is a wrestle fight, everything is a competition, everything is an argument, everything is a fight. Yeah. And if I don't control them, I cannot literally take them anywhere. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm only doing my best. I still yeah. need to be able to get them out. So yeah, yeah. it is such a hard balance. <laughs> well, we've been talking for a long time. Yeah, that sounds sorry. like that's going. <laughs> Um, so I just want to thank you for your time, thank for you obviously for coming on the campaign and giving us the platform to get that awareness out on your radio show. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll end it with a big thank you. Um, and we will throw all the links to where you can see the images, um, follow Nick Ainsley um, on all the socials and we'll get it up as soon as possible. Thank you. Yeah, I just heard it suddenly go. Yeah, no, we're <laughs> on. Um, Thank you. No.